reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The word of the Lord. I always feel drawn to the story of Abraham in any way in which it appears. He's a complex character, and I always find myself, when given the choice to go back to his story, so much so that I realized we read this story last summer at the end of June, the binding of Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac. And yet this family and their story, the patriarch, of our faith, the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, is so complex and so imperfect that I find a sort of fascination with it. We have Abraham and Sarah who have been promised descendants and yet find themselves barren. We have Abraham who ultimately lays with Hagar, births, fathers another son, And then the promise of God to him and Sarah is fulfilled. He then casts out Hagar and Ishmael to raise Isaac as his only son. But God promises a life for Ishmael as well. And then, after all of this, after the promised descendant that he has in Isaac, a voice comes to him and commands him to go on a three-day journey to a mountain to sacrifice his son. And I am left wondering, what sort of God is this and what sort of relationship with God is this? And Abraham complies. He takes his grown adult son. If you look at all the artwork of this scene, it's the adult Isaac with his father about to sacrifice him before God rewards him with a ram to sacrifice in his place. It is a complicated story. As one commentary noted, why in the world would we put this in the 22nd chapter of the Bible? Who wants to keep reading after this? It doesn't exactly tell you that this is a God you should believe and trust in. And yet it is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is fascinating about Abraham up until this story, and this is really the last great story of Abraham. I mean, he hangs around for a few more chapters, but we start to shift to look at the story of his descendants after this scene. Abraham, as, you know, the father of the church, most of the time, second guesses God. God promises him descendants. And even though Abraham is in direct conversation with God, doesn't quite believe it, so much so that he and Sarah decide that they should find another way 
for Abraham to have a son, even though they have been promised that Sarah will bear children. At Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham argues with God. Abraham is not, up until this point, the model of faithfulness and obedience. He actually looks a lot more like us, second-guessing, doing the human thing of being uncertain of how God will act in this world and taking matters, frankly, into his own hands. In a way, that's what distinguishes the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham doesn't question God. And some argue that he probably should have. I mean, God asks him to sacrifice his son. Why does Abraham even believe that's truly the voice of God? There's a refrain in this particular passage where Abraham says, Here I am. It's the first time that we hear this in scripture. And we will hear it over and over and over. It is the phrase that the faithful servants of God use. Noah and Moses and Samuel and Jacob will all say, Here I am. And at the end of his life, after everything that has happened, Abraham is marked with these words, Here I am. He does not question God, but goes on what must be a terrible three-day journey. As one commentary pointed out, we have to wonder who this story is written for. It's actually an appropriate question for us to always ask when we encounter our scriptures. Is this story written for the non-believer to come and encounter God and come to know who he is? Maybe the last few verses, but the beginning? Is that how you convince someone that this is a God they should pray to and believe in? This is not the story that you give to a new person to the faith. But, as this commentary argued, it is instead a story for us who already believe and live in to this faith, this world, this belief in God. What I think draws me to the story of Abraham over and over is how messy it is, how human it is, how much it mirrors our own lives that things are not simple, that there is a clash so often between the ethics of how we should live and perhaps the faith we have lived or been told we should live or believe we should live, that the world around us and our belief in God can come to a head and we are left with the most difficult of decisions, or that we live in a world of unbelievable violence, that we live in a world where children indeed are dying. In some ways, we are called to not sanitize this story, to sit with Abraham and to sit with Isaac 
on a three-day journey towards death. What in the world could Abraham have been thinking? Now, theologians, Christian and Jewish, have done what I call theological gymnastics to work their way around this story. Kierkegaard, in particular, a Christian theologian, spends a good deal of time working his way between the ethical and religious dilemma of this story. Supposing and believing that this is a story that speaks of Abraham's faithfulness. This is actually the first time Abraham's faithful to God. Is the first time he actually does what God tells him to do. And that Abraham was only able to do that because he had to believe this was a test and that God in the end would not truly require the sacrifice of Isaac. And that the ethical choice to not kill someone and the faithful choice to do what God tells you would ultimately come to a place of meeting and resolution. In the end, it ends up for many people and many theologians being a story of Abraham's faithfulness, which makes sense if you see it in light of him for the first time saying, here I am, and that being the mark of faithfulness for prophets throughout scripture. Others question whether or not this whole story is really the voice of God. Some rabbis comment that we don't really know if this was God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son, and perhaps the test was for him to fight this untrue voice. But in the end, God is there, and God saves his son. I am left in the midst of this theological gymnastics wondering what in the world we should do with this story. But I see the world around us, the pandemic, the racial tension, the history of violence behind us. And I recognize it's not a sanitized version of scripture that we need. This story raises anxiety, anxiety for the choice that Abraham has to make, anxiety for the choices we have to make in our own world of how to faithfully live into our scriptures and our commandments with God, how to ethically live in the world, and how to challenge both when they are incongruent with each other. The task before us is not an easy one. It is not simple and clean cut. In many ways, we always are hearing the scripture against a backdrop of their own political times. Part of what's remarkable about this story is the end of human sacrifice. In many ways, there's something to be applauded and uplifted. That this is a change, and this is happening against a tension that's happening in the society of Abraham, the society in which this is being written. What sacrifice is appropriate? It's a change that is taking place. And scripture is marking that change through this story. Ultimately, God's action is a demonstration of God's move away and away and away from violence. 
I remember speaking with a rabbi about the stereotype of the God of the Old Testament, a false stereotype that God is a God of violence. And he pointed me to this passage to say, humanity is violent. At the very beginning, God is calling us away from it. I admit I am left in a place of uncertainty. I'm not sure I have a great resolution for us today. But as I am spending several hours each week with our class on sacred ground, talking about racial violence and the history of slavery, the history of people of my skin color killing and enslaving others because of their race, as I watch our world struggle with this pandemic and this disease where thousands of lives are being lost. I know we do not live in a clean-cut world where the path forward is always easy or clear. From Abraham and this story, we are given an incredibly personal story of faith, of one's own wrestling with God, perhaps one that was never meant for mass consumption. But we see Abraham's agonizing journey, a journey that challenges himself as a father and as a follower of God. And in that glimpse, we cannot turn away from the horrors of what happened. Just as in our own world, we cannot turn away from the horrors of what is happening around us. And perhaps by being awake, by being present to what we see, we will hear God's voice in the end. Perhaps we just need to do some more theological gymnastics to work our way through this story. In some ways, the gospel we hear today is an easier one to consume. We are called to welcome, to show hospitality to others, to strangers. A strange contrast to the story we heard last week where God told us, where Jesus told us that we would be turning father against son, mother against daughter. And this week we're being told to welcome the stranger. Scripture continually gives us conundrums and messages that can feel in contrast. And in fact, that is the world that we live in. Stay awake to the realities of the world, to the political backdrops, to the social change. We cannot turn away. We cannot sanitize or hide our eyes. Perhaps we can say, here I am, and learn how to hear and seek out God's voice how to wrestle with our own faith even when it challenges us, even when it is wholly and completely uncomfortable. Even at the end of Abraham's life, he had something to learn to be in relationship with God. It is never too late for us to wrestle. It is never too late for us to change or grow 
And I pray our world can change with it. Amen.